Hey friends, welcome to the Redeemer Queens Park podcast. Redeemer exists to help connect Jesus to people, people to community and community to mission. We gather to worship God in fellowship with one another on Saturday afternoons at 3pm. If you ever have any questions or if we could be of help in any way at all, then please give us a shout at hello at redeemerqp.com. We hope you'll be encouraged as you hear another one of our Bible talks. Let's listen to the next episode. Continuing this uh, collection of talks, Jesus in his own words, um, just two, uh, two, two teachings left from uh, the Gospel of John as we've been considering over these uh, last couple of months together. Uh, welcome to the most popular metaphor in the entire Bible, the idea of God as the shepherd of our souls, the idea of humanity as sheep. John chapter 10 is where it's at. However familiar or unfamiliar with this metaphor that we are when we walk into this room today, the fact of the matter is, this is perhaps the most dominant, the most popular way that God chooses to refer to the relationship between himself and you and me. People in need of someone to look after us. And when we think that, we're like, man, I come from different sorts of houses, we got here, different modes of transportation, wearing different sorts of clothes, we think, I kind of look after myself. According to God, John chapter 10, you and I actually have many, many needs. We have many vulnerabilities. We're not as secure as we like to think we are. We have different weaknesses. We have different points and ways when we're all exposed, and what we need is a shepherd. Someone who can look after our souls. How about just a picture of a modern shepherd here? Thinking of someone looking after sheep. It's like, yeah, that's, that's kind of helpful. But I mean, here we are. Probably didn't pass many sheep on the way in here today. Some of you had a longer commute than others. But I still doubt you had to pass any sheep on the way in. But that when, when, when God wants to convey, and especially to comfort, the relationship between himself and his people, he talks about this. Sheep under the careful guidance of a shepherd. The context of what Andrew read to us, we know Jesus is in the temple of Jerusalem. They've just celebrated this thing called Feast of Booths. We learned about this a couple weeks ago, essentially like an Exodus celebration ceremony. They're remembering water, they're remembering light. He finds himself as part of the, the Old Testament people of God. The Jewish people would have understood themselves to be the flock of God, cared for by the chief shepherd, Jehovah. You see this in Numbers chapter 27, verses 15 and 17, and of course, Psalm chapter 23. Now, the image of a flock under the careful guidance of a shepherd gets applied to the local church. What Ellie was just telling us about in Luke chapter 12, verse 32, Acts chapter 20, verse 28 and 29, this metaphor of us being needy people, us having different points of brokenness and vulnerability and insecurity among us, needing not just someone but a team of people to really look after our souls. Well, spiritual leaders, as you continue reading the Bible, spiritual leaders become known as shepherds or pastors. Ephesians chapter 4 is right there. We see God's actually building a big metaphor for us. Yeah, he intends to care for us. He intends to look after us. He intends to be the chief and good shepherd of our souls. And yet, 
He's going to work out our good through under-shepherds, broken men that are going to look to Jesus and are going to try to provide care for our souls as they look to him and consider how he has cared for their souls. Well, this is where the French theologian John Calvin could conclude, Christ likens the church to a sheepfold in which God assembles his people and compares himself to the door, since he is the only entrance into the church. That's what Jesus is into. Jesus is standing in the midst of these religious leaders. He's got some of his own at hand. He aims to instruct and he aims to comfort. And this is his word. I am the door. Now listen, um, I consider it to be one of my greatest uh, joys in life and a genuine privilege to be able to study the Bible. It's like bring it to you most weeks and to be able to explain what's going on here. And um, Daniel and I were even having a chat, like how do we want to teach through this as we're working through this as a team. And uh, you have Jesus actually calling himself the door, but then just a few verses later, he's going to call himself the good shepherd. And this is one of those, as we, as we broke it up, I was looking at it, and I was like, man, I, I, don't, I don't know like, what the word is like, on the door. And that actually led me to like, searching and having to ponder and having to think in these last couple of days. I was having to wrestle with this. Like, God, I get the good shepherd. Like, that makes a lot of sense. I can kind of go with that, but like, a door? What does it mean for you to be a door? And it, and it led me into a bit of research that I want to share with you here. But look, I'm not going to talk about everything here because Daniel's coming next week to explain what it means for Jesus to also be the good shepherd. And this blending of metaphors is not unusual. Even here, he calls himself the door, but then he's referring to himself as the shepherd. So he's claiming to be two things in the same picture. But we've seen this before. He called himself the bread of life in John 35, yet he was the one who actually gave bread. He gave himself to hungry sinners. He speaks of the truth in John 8.45, but he's also the truth in John 14.6. So he blends metaphors from time to time. So even as we're here, we're thinking door. It won't alarm us when he also calls himself the shepherd. How about just three bits on this door then? How about the instruction about the door, the illumination of this door, and then the invitation to come on through this door? Let's get into it together. First things first, the instruction about the door. So let me take you on my journey. Let's consider the physical aspects of a sheepfold, right? Let's go to Middle Eastern um, shepherd culture, and let's try to figure out, like, what in the world we're talking about here. A sheepfold was usually an enclosure in a wall surrounded by rocks. Uh, shepherds would even come in here, and they'd place, like, thorns and thistles on top of this to prevent the sheep from jumping out, other animals from jumping in, and these thieves and these robbers from jumping into the fold and from taking their property. Shepherds, sometimes, they would even lay down in the gate of it, like this shepherd that you can see here. An opening in the wall allowed the sheep to enter and to exit. And it was, it was, it was the custom of the day for the shepherd to lay across the opening of the door to the sheepfold, and the shepherd himself would become the door in an otherwise vulnerable and exposed structure. On the outskirts of many villages would be a community sheepfold. Let's see that next slide. You'd see something like this. I mean, maybe if, you, if you're not city center, you're a little more out in the sticks of the burbs, and you get set up with one of these. But, I mean, it's, not, it's nonetheless a thing, a community sheepfold, right? And what would, interestingly, what we see all throughout the gospel of, what we always see all throughout chapter 10 of the gospel of John, but you see this throughout Scripture, this idea that there could actually be multiple sheep, there could be multiple flocks running around a single sheep pen, but the shepherds would come along and the shepherds would call out 
to their sheep. And the sheep that belonged to them, they would head for the door. And in fact, there was something about the way a shepherd related to sheep that Jesus even tells us they, they won't even go to a shepherd that's not theirs. They actually run from him. So Jesus is telling us something. He's telling us those sheep that belong to him are going to be able to hear him. And when we hear him, there's going to be obedience. There's going to be action that follows. All right, so look, door and doors. This might be the problem with the message today. We're so accustomed to modern, attractive doors, some more fancy than others that even open when you approach and close when you walk through. It might be hard for us in this room, in this modern world, to get excited about a little hole in the wall. But that's exactly what Jesus claims to be the solution for. Knowing these facts, then, we can meditate maybe a little more closely on what Jesus is saying when he says, I am the door. I'm that bit that's going to protect. I'm that piece of a stone wall that's going to run security for my own. That's the background and context. You see in verses 1 through 6 of what Andrew just, just read for us, he's standing amongst these Pharisees. God has, God has constantly had a tough time in his heart for people who are supposed to be looking after God's people and who use God's people for their own selfish advantage. You go read the, God, you go read the book of Ezekiel, and the book of Ezekiel is full of this. God's people, for years and years and years, were intended to be looked after by the under-shepherd's care of another. These people were abusive with the flock. They manipulated and used the flock to, for their own selfish advantage. And you go read something like Ezekiel chapter 34, and you'll see God who comes along to exact justice. He fights for his own, and he sends warnings and messages. Well, here he is, Jesus, the chief shepherd, standing in John chapter 10 with these Pharisees, and he's trying to tear them a point. He's trying to say, listen, there's going to be, there's going to be a good shepherd, and there's going to be other shepherds. But those other shepherds, they aren't even shepherds. They're actually thieves and they're robbers. They're in it for their own gain. Jesus sets this up for us, and he brings us to this place where we see he's using this figure of speech to refer to himself as the door. That's some introduction, but let's, let's get it illuminated. The illumination of the door. See, Jesus was actually born in one sheepfold. He was actually born in this Jewish sheepfold. And Jesus tells us time and again throughout his ministry that he's actually on a mission. He didn't come just for the people that he was a part of. Jesus isn't just about those specific sorts that's part of his very specific ethnic lineage. Jesus says, I have sheep that aren't in this fold, and I intend to go get them and to bring them in. We know that's true when you look around a room like this. You see people from different backgrounds. You see people from different cultures. You see people with different dialects. You see people with different understandings. There you can see, yeah, Jesus is on a mission. and He's actually working it out even in a little room like this. He's actually assembling people from other, other folds under the, under the wayward leadership of other people, and he's actually building a sheepfold for himself. See, Jesus is calling people out of other folds, and if we're going to belong to him, eventually we're going to join in that task. He called the blind beggar in John chapter 9. He called Saul of Tarsus, a Hebrew of Hebrews, in Philippians 3, 5, we learn. We see a people abandoning everything they have to be a part of this one's flock 
when they hear his voice. Let's think more about what this door means. The door means at least four things. Let me show you the first one. The door means separation. Kind of a door at the house, and I think later on tonight, after, after going out after this, after some food, after some running around, I think we'll get to that point later on this evening where we're going to be glad there's something to separate us from what's on the outside. We're going to be really glad there's something we can slam and maybe lock one, two, three, or four times, depending on your level of anxiety. We're going to be glad there's a door to separate us at the end of the day, and Jesus claims to be that door. Those who follow Christ, they don't belong to this world. No, they live like this world, and this causes people in this world to actually hate them. John chapter 16, 18 to 25 teaches this. You see, when you think about it, like we want to, we want to be warm about Jesus. We want to talk about how great Jesus is, and he is great. And there's plenty of things where he can warm your heart. But the author also tells us in John 7, 43, thus the people were divided because of Jesus. He will divide. His way will divide. It will split people. It will split friends. It will split families. He will divide. And the door means separation. The door means there are some that by his grace have found their way through, and it means that others in their own stubbornness and in their own sin, they refuse to go in and they're on the out. But the door does mean separation. I wonder even if you, as you hear that this afternoon, if you could just identify, have I heard his voice? Am I on the end? Or am I refusing? Is there something he's calling for in me and I, I just insist on being on the out? Well, the door also means decision. And we live in a world that promotes tolerance at the cost of truth. We live in a world where it's very, very popular. Say something like, well, look, whatever's true for you, that doesn't necessarily have to be true for me. But the door actually means a point of decision. Jesus is claiming to be something that's absolute. Jesus is saying he's not one of many relevant options on the way to God. He's claiming to be the option. He's claiming to be the same thing that he said in John 14, 6. I am the way. I am the truth. I am the life. He claims to be something that is exclusive in a world where it's popular to be inclusive. But just think about how that actually just doesn't work. And maybe more than that, think about how we actually don't live like this. We say on a popular level, right? When we're, when we're in the midst of people, we're not wanting to throw the vibe in a dinner party, you're not wanting to upset your neighbor. We, I mean, look, whatever's true for you is just true for you. Think about the ways we actually don't live that way. Three, three facts from your own experience. We don't live that way when it comes to money, when it comes to measurements, and when it comes to medicine. We don't. When someone's like, well, look, if it's true for you, like, just have it. You and your work, you meet people that don't believe what you believe as you're slowly and steadily, like, trying to unpack the gospel to people over time. And somebody's just like, look, if it's true for you, it might be true for you. It just doesn't have to be true for me. Just think how that doesn't work. That isn't how this world actually works. That's not how our society works. We actually don't believe this. Think about when it comes to money. You, you, loan a, you loan a friend or a neighbor, family member, 100 pounds. Two months later, they come back. Like, yo, I got your money. Well, that's great. I've been waiting on it. Yeah, here it is. And they offer you 10. Like, look, well, 10's good as 100 for me. Would you in that moment just accept something that's true for this other person? Does that make it true for you? Absolutely not. When it comes to money, we don't live like this. When it comes to money, we say, nope, I got an add a zero to the bill, bud. Where's my money? 
When it comes to medicine, we don't live like this. When it comes to medicine, if, somebody, if you're sick or if you're unwell, and somebody says, well, just take some arsenic. It's true for me. Arsenic will make you well. Would you take it? Or would you take the aspirin? You take the aspirin every time. And think about the measurements. Think if you have somebody come over to do some woodwork or some joinery in your home. They come into your house, and this, like, real professional sort of person, they come in, and you tell them what you want, and then they go and they build it. And they build you a set of bookcases that's 10 inches wide and only eight inches tall. And they tell you, an inch is as good of a foot for me, go on and pay me. We don't live like this. We say, no, an inch isn't as good as a foot, no matter how much you want to believe it. That's not how the world works. You built me something like my, my dog could use. Where's my bookcases? And so it is. There are absolutes concerning things in this world. And Jesus calls for it yet again. He says, I am the door. He doesn't say, look, I'm one of five good options. I'm, I'm, you're, look, you're down to two, me or that other thing. He says, it's me. The door means decision. The door means we decide upon this. We believe this to be true or we call this a lie. This means there are things that are absolute in this world as well. There's absolutes about what it means to be a man and what it means to be a woman. There's absolutes about what it means to be a human created in the image of God. And there's absolutes about how many relevant options there are about how to get to God. He says, I'm the door. And this doesn't mean that Christians won't allow or even fight for the ability of other people to say other things that are contrary to this. This does mean that Christians will be kind and Christians will be compassionate. They will fight for the right to other people to express other things, even though Jesus claims to be the thing. He claims to be the door. The door means there's such a thing as truth. When Jesus prayed to the Father in John 17, he said, sanctify my followers by your, by, by your truth. Your word is truth. Psalm 23, 23 says, 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 buy the truth and don't sell it. So to stand on the outside of the door, to say, well, I'm just not, I'm not going to make a decision on this at all, is to make a decision, the most fateful sort of decision you could make, and refuse to go in and find rest for your soul. Separation, decision, and compassion. Remember, he offers to sit in the wall. He offers to endure the elements so your soul can go on in and find some safety and security. In the evening, the shepherd would lead the flock back to the fold. The, the shepherd would actually lay the crook or the staff over the door and create it to where only the sheep could come in one by one. Part of what we understand here is that the, the shepherd would actually inspect each sheep individually before the sheep came in. Think about the level of compassion required. Sometimes at the end of the day, I just want to drop my bags, kick my shoes, and lay down. No, this one, at the end of the long day of being out and about, after searching, after seeking, after shepherding all day long, this one lays the crook over the door, and one by one, he inspects his sheep. He's also a bit of a physician. He finds any bumps or bruises or cuts. He applies ointment. He gives each one a cool drink of water, as Psalm 23 tells us, and he lets them in one by one. The Bible says that is what we're looking for on a soul level. We're looking for someone to compassionately think over our souls, worry over our souls, inspect our souls. And Jesus offers to be the one. And Jesus says, I'm going to manifest my glory to the world in this way 
I'm going to raise up these broken leaders that are going to be put together by my grace, and they're going to be my under-shepherds. And you're going to be able to depend on them as they depend on me. And together, we're going to shepherd your soul. We're going to look after you. Listen, as we bring the invitation of membership to you, this is what, this is what we have in mind. Where's that person? Where's that place where your soul is being worried over, prayed over, cared for, inspected, tended to, medicated, and prayed for? That's what we're in it for. So he also means compassion. He intends to personally look after us in these ways, and it also means protection. The shepherd would risk his own life, and the shepherd would probably even risk anything necessary to care for these sheep. We see the wolves could not get in. They couldn't attack the sheep. Thieves had to go through the shepherd. If the thieves are going to get to the shepherd as well, to the sheep as well, the shepherd was armed with his rod and his staff so he could fend off anything that came their way. Psalm 23.4 tells us this. So think about it like this. Wherever there's a faithful flock, there will be enemies who want to attack. Whenever there's a faithful flock, there's certainly going to be enemies swirling to attack. Sometimes on the out. Sometimes a, a, a wolf might actually mask themselves and come in. This is where Paul had to tell the elders of the Ephesians church to watch out for enemies that would try to infiltrate the flock. Acts chapter 20, verse 28 and 31. So that's why very practically, even a place like Redeemer, we offer some we offer some resources and materials that you can read so you can just know, you can get clued up what you're even joining in on. And let's just have conversation. That actually puts great value on a thing like membership. It's people that have weighed it up. They've actually counted the cost to say, yeah, I, I, I want to join in this. Even after some conversation, the crooks over the door, there's lots of care involved. So we, we know who's in. We're inviting you in. So there it is few things about this door. This door means separation. It means decision. It means compassion. And it means that God has the protection of our own souls in view. So maybe most importantly, we look at this radical claim of Jesus in chapter 10, verses 7 and 8. He said again, very truly, I tell you, I'm the gate. I'm the door. However you want to translate that word, it works the same. I am the gate. I am the door of the sheep. All who have come before me are thieves and robbers, but the sheep have not listened to them. Also, the door means salvation. The invitation to this door. Let's think about it. If you're even here to hear the word of the Lord today, maybe you're, maybe you're even ready to come through it. The invitation of this door. Because the door means salvation. Salvation is not a human right, but it's a gift of God's grace. You know, our money can buy our ways into a lot of doors in this town. You got enough money, you got enough connections, you might be able to get through some doors. This door is only accessed by grace. This means we don't deserve it, we can't earn it. There's nothing you could do or I could do that ever could make this shepherd say, man, I gotta have that one. It's given to us freely at his own expense. He offers to sit in the door while we, with all of our failures and our faults, we go in to find the rest and the rehab for our souls that we really need. The invitation to this door. It's an invitation to salvation. So look, as Lewis comes up here, I only have a few more things I need to say, and I'm gonna get out of the way, and we're gonna be able to respond. Salvation. Salvation means life. All throughout the Gospel of John, salvation means life. And I need, I need you to hear this, especially if you're here today and you know you're not a Christian. I need you to hear this. We are not saved 
because we admire Jesus, we are saved because we repent of our sins and we worship Jesus. That's the difference. We're not saved because we get around this thing. We're like, look, he was certainly a wise old guy. I'll tell you what. No, we're saved because we realize we have failures, we have flaws, we have faults. And the only way we're ever going to be taken care of is if he saves us. And as we hear his voice, we follow him, even in the act of following, we continue to admit, I'm a sinner in need of a savior. I'm a sheep in need of a shepherd. This is the metaphor that God wants to bring us into. So to be saved then means you can have your sins forgiven. Christian, it means that you have become a child of God. It means that you can have the assurance of heaven in your life. And it means that Jesus will give you eternal life. That's what's promised. In John chapter 3, verses 16 and 18, and in John 10, 10, he says he wants to give you life to the full. So any sheep, any sheep that enters this flock through Jesus is saved and will always be saved. And then later in this chapter, we're actually given the indication, how can I know I'm in this? Is Maybe the Bible could give us a verse that when you read it, you're able to see, I, I belong to him or I don't belong to him. He does later in John chapter 10, verses 27 and 29, Jesus says, my sheep listen to my voice. Are you listening to his voice? Are you listening to another voice? Are you listening to a thief? Are you listening to a robber? Are you listening to a counterfeit, to a phony, to a fraud? He says, my own, listen to my voice. I know them and they follow me. I give them eternal life and they shall never perish and no one will snatch them out of my hand. Just let your eyes roll over that and you can just think to yourself, do, do I belong to this shepherd or do I belong to another? This is actually how we define discipleship in the Redeemer community, this, this word right here. A disciple, a follower of Jesus, a sheep belonging to this shepherd is one that's always growing in her or his ability to hear the voice of the shepherd, to trust the voice of the shepherd, and to follow the voice of the shepherd. Hearing, trusting, and obeying. That's, that's what this whole thing comes down to. If you were to wonder, what are we aiming at? What are we driving for? What are we striving after when we get around like this? And then we're gonna tell you we're teaching over here. We're gonna invite you to come over and hear this teaching. We're gonna be praying about this thing over here. This is it. This is, this is it, that you would be able to hear his voice in your life. You would be able to trust his voice in your life, and you'd be able to follow and to obey his voice in your life because salvation brings us eternal life, but it also gives us the privilege of liberty. It means you can go in and you can go out, and he's gonna be right there to look over you as you do. Christian freedom doesn't mean we have the right to do whatever we please, but we actually get to live in the confines of his sheepfold. We get to live within the measurements and the parameters that he lays out. So think about how good this is for some of us. A timid, frightened sheep would stay in the fold day and night and never go out to those chosen pastures by the shepherds. But the careless, overconfident sheep would remain in the pastures both day and night. See, we need both food and water and we need exercise and we need rest. This shepherd, he guarantees that he will give us the liberty to go find seasons of resting, seasons of depending on God, and then seasons of witness, seasons of ministry, seasons of service as well. He says, I'm gonna lead you out and I'm gonna lead you in and I'm gonna lead you all the way. So prayer and meditation are important and some of us prioritize that, but so are witness and service and we need that too. And this shepherd says he's gonna lead us to both. 
He's gonna lead us to both. The freedom that Jesus wins for us, it is not achieved by a sword or a stick. It's achieved by a cross. That is what this door is an invitation to. It's an invitation shaped like a cross where this Savior lays his life down for the welfare of our souls. He says, all who would come to me can find rest if you choose to enter in. So it's an invitation. This invitation that if I may be so bold amongst you in love, it's an invitation that some of you in this room right now, you need to accept been admiring Jesus for a season, but you haven't repented of your sins and you don't worship him. Some of you need to receive this invitation to have this life and to rest your souls. Let me say it like this. He is saying the same thing from John 14, 6. He is saying, I am the way, I am the truth, I am the life. He is saying there's robs and there's thieves and there's enemies, and I'm going to separate you from them. But no one, no one of us in here wants to be merely safe. We have times in our lives where the next thing we need to be is safe, but that is not the ultimate want of our hearts. If we're honest with ourselves, we were not created merely to be safe. The human heart wants something more than safety. We want life. That's what we're craving. That's why even when we come home to God and we were safe again and we run off again, it's because we haven't tapped into the life that he offers. And Jesus says, I am the door. If anyone enters by me, he will be saved. Yes, and so much more. He'll go in and he'll go out. He'll find pasture for his soul. The point of saying this is that the sheepfold represents this safety and this protection. But he offers us life. We want more than safety. We want life. We want abundant life. We want an overcoming life. We want a deep life. We want a weighty life. We want a life that can endure suffering. We want a life that's overcoming sin because of his spirit he puts inside of us. We want a joyful life. No one wants to merely survive. Yet sometimes we're dragging ourselves up and down the streets and up and down the halls of our homes merely looking to survive. Here is the one who offers life. He offers life. He offers life. As the Turkish theologian Gregory of Nazianzus would say, he is the way because he leads us through himself. He is the door who lets us in. He's the shepherd who makes us dwell in green pastures, bringing us by waters and rest and leading us there. He protects us from wild beasts. He converts the erring. He brings back that which was lost and he binds up that which was broken because the number one measure for any shepherd worth his salt is the protection and care of his own flock. Do you have a shepherd looking after your soul? This is an invitation. It's an invitation because he is able to save completely forever. He is able to save all who come to God through him. He lives to pray for you. Let's bow our heads. Let's close our eyes. I just want to give you an opportunity to respond. I first responded to this invitation when I was about 10 years old at a kid's camp in Alabama back in the States. I just had a few bits of the story, but I had enough to, to make sense and understand I was on the out and I needed to find my way in. God in his grace actually provided an opportunity for me to hear this story. It's the story of the gospel. It's the good news. Things are really bad for us on our own, no matter how bright the life might seem, but God's provided a way to be saved. Friend, today you can have a way out. You don't have to merely survive, you can thrive. You can have safety now and you can live into this life to come. 
you can have it now in your life. Before you stands a door, will you enter in? Will you receive the invitation that this Jesus extends to you now? If so, you could even just repeat after me as I pray something like this. You might even hear some people around you praying this, other, some believers, some non-believers, just making it easy on you. But if this is you in a moment like this, you can just say, my Father in heaven, I admit that's me. I'm on the out and I see the door. God, receive me in. Protect me, God. Look after me, God. As I admit, I'm a sinner. And I believe that Jesus is my Savior. I admit I need help. I pray that you would help me. So receive me, God, in Jesus' name. Friends, we're going to have an opportunity to respond here. Sit to, to be, we'll all be standing, hopefully, and to think about what it means for Jesus to be this door that we see here. Next week, it gets even better because he calls himself a good shepherd after that. But this is what we're about. We're about this door. We're about this life that he invites us into. So I invite you to stand. We'll sing. We'll reflect. We'll just have a moment to be together. Be on our way.